Well, last week, for those that were here or tuning in, we, we looked at the life of Joseph. And I, I just, it's one of the most amazing lives and one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. You know, and I sometimes think back in, into my own life, and I'm sure the lives of many of us here, that, you know, when we look back, you know, and say, wow, how did we get here? You know, what, what was it? Why did God call us? Why did he extend his grace to us that we would even say yes, Lord, to his offer of salvation and forgiveness of sins? And it's, it's, if, if, if you can go back in time, and the older I get, the, sometimes the harder it is, but I've always got friends that want to remind me, so <laughs> you don't forget. It's like, there's no way. No way. And when I look at the life of, life of Joseph, that's one of the things I, I'm so struck by, that here's a 17-year-old young man, or really 17-year-old kid, and he's the 11th son in this huge family. And if somebody would have said to him, you know, one day you're going to be the second most powerful man on the earth, you'd have looked at that and thought, are you crazy? God gave him a dream. God spoke to him through a dream. He chose to speak to him through a dream. And for those that are wondering, God still does do that today. But he spoke to him through a dream, and he didn't really get it, and he probably didn't handle it as best he could. But God was faithful all the way through his life. You know, this process of of preparation, really. And we all go through preparation, no matter what our call is, what our destiny is. You know, I mentioned last week, sometimes we think if we're walking out our calling, if we're walking towards our destiny, doing all that we can really in the natural, things happen. Bad things happen. Difficult things happen. Circumstances happen. But God's faithful, always. So this week we're going to be looking at another man, another man who would be a real one of the fathers of the faith, the heroes in the Bible, his name is Moses. Again, a, a sort of familiar story to many of us. But we're going to look at the life of Moses a little bit, um, not, in, not in great, great detail, but to look at, again, how God called him, kind of get a picture, a brief picture of how God prepared him for the call that was on his life, the destiny that God had for him, and how hard it was walking it out. We're not going to get bogged down in all of the different details here, but just in painting with broad strokes, I think there's something that all of us can really be encouraged by and learn from when we look in the lives of these people in the Bible. They were people, first and foremost. We need to remember that. And we look at them sometimes as they're these supermen, spiritual supermen. Man, they, they're people like us. They struggled like us. Uh, some of them struggled more than we'll probably ever struggle. Yet they were faithful to God, and God was faithful to them. So this morning, the title of my message deals with the burning bush. Is there a burning bush in your life? Is there a burning bush in your life? And by the time I get through this morning, I hope your answer would be, yeah, probably a whole bunch of them. Because there are, there should be, there are burning bushes. So before I read our text this morning, I want to just pray again. Father, I just pray for you to speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. God, help us to be uh, open to whatever you have for us, to be able to receive. Father, that we would be encouraged by your word and challenged by your word. Father, I pray you would help me to speak in such a way that the message you want would be one that is delivered. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3, the first five or six verses. Exodus chapter 3. And it says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, really out in the middle of nowhere, to the Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, later called Mount Sinai. I think it's interesting that that's where this took place. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. An angel of the Lord. You may remember weeks back we talked about a Christophany where Christ appeared before he was incarnate in the flesh and blood. This would be another one of those examples of a Christophany. This angel of the Lord is actually Jesus. Now how can I know that? How can I say that? Why isn't it just some other angel? Because a little bit further in the scripture here, it refers to him as Jehovah. and worst of it refers to him as Lord. I believe this is Jesus that's being talked about pre-incarnation. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. It wasn't consumed. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight while the bush does not burn up. Some translations, I like it even a little bit better than that. It doesn't say, I will go over and see. It says, I will turn aside. A very conscious decision. I will turn aside to go see what this strange thing is. In verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. Those same translations, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was even afraid to look at God. Moses was an amazing leader. If, if you're familiar with the whole story of Exodus, we, we have a comprehension, I hope, of just how amazing he was as a leader. We could say, actually, by the time this whole thing plays out, he is the leader or the pastor or the shepherd of a congregation or a flock of about three million people, probably at least three million people. That would be a challenge. And as you're familiar with the story, you'll know that they weren't the greatest congregation you could possibly have. They wanted to... Uh, mutiny at one time. They wanted to say, who is this guy? Let's leave him. Even some people really close to him said, why, why, do you, why do we think God only speaks to you, Moses? He was challenged greatly. They whined and they murmured about his leadership. Praise God, I don't have a congregation like that. Just a white. No, I'm just kidding, honey. <laughs> just kidding. That was not good. He had a tough job, but God was with him. And that's one of the things we need to remember. He lived 120 years, 120 years. And the amazing thing is at the end of those 120 years, it says this about him in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7. It says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. 
Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. It's saying to us, he was 120 years old. He led this congregation for 40 years in the desert, walking in circles much of the time, with a whining, murmuring, complaining congregation much of the time. And it says when he died, his eyes were not, eyes were not dim. His passion was still there. His exuberance, his energy was still there. And it says his body, his strength was still there. We get this description of this guy who is still looks like he's young, full of vigor and vitality and strength. And yet that's when the Lord decided to take him home. He died and left. And his 120-year lifespan falls very, very nicely in three 40-year phases. The first phase of those first 40 years. The story, he was born at a time to a Hebrew parents, at a time when Pharaoh had given orders that the male babies of all these Hebrew parents should be killed. This is the time he was born. And his mother, not wanting to kill or have her son killed, put him in a little basket that floated and put him in the river. And as, as God would have it, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river and found this basket with this little boy in it. And this little boy then was eventually adopted into the family of Pharaoh. For 40 years, he was raised in the household of Pharaoh. For 40 years, he was becoming a somebody. I mean, he was becoming a real somebody. He had the best teachers, the best educators, the best philosophers that all of Egypt had as his instructors. He had the finest foods. He was a man of authority and power. He was actually in the lineage because of his adoption of Pharaoh himself. For 40 years, this little Hebrew baby who was put in a basket was becoming somebody. In Acts 7, verse 22 when Stephen is defending his faith, he said these words about Moses. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. He was a real somebody. So many of us spend our lives trying to become a somebody. Moses was a somebody. And then one day, He was out walking amongst the people, the slaves, his fellow Hebrews. And you know the story, most of us. An Egyptian was beating one of his Hebrew brothers, so to speak. And he killed the Egyptian. And the next day he went out and and he's coming across a couple more Hebrews and they make a comment, oh, if we don't do it right, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And he realized that the secret was going to get out. And he knew if the secret got out, he was in trouble. So he fled Egypt. This somebody who had been raised for 40 years in the household of Pharaoh fled to the far side of the desert, it says. He fled to Midian, the far side of the desert. I think a way of saying he went as far away as he could go. He left it all behind. And as the story unfolds, through some interesting circumstances, he ends up watering, helping to water some sheep of some female shepherds or shepherdesses. And he's taken to the home of a man named Jethro because it was his daughters who he helped 
And he marries one of his daughters. And he becomes a shepherd. For 40 years, on the far side of the desert, he is shepherding Jethro's flock. This somebody had truly became a nobody. He had emptied himself of his pride and his arrogance and his own abilities. Here he is shepherding a flock and he doesn't even own the sheep. And yet he'd been raised for 40 years in Pharaoh's household. It reminds me of scriptures that say we need to crucify the flesh. We need to die to ourselves daily. We need to empty ourselves that we might be filled. Moses had went from being a real somebody to being a real nobody. And in Genesis chapter 46, you may remember this from some of our studies in the past couple of months. It says in verse 33, and this is when Joseph is giving instructions to his brothers as how to address Pharaoh so they get favor and get sent to Goshen, the prime land in all of Egypt. He says to his brothers, he says, when Pharaoh calls you in and asks you, what is your occupations? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. And then we will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen. Goshen, For all shepherds are detestable in the eyes of the Egyptians. So he had went from being a somebody raised in the household of Pharaoh to a detestable shepherd. In the eyes of Egyptian, it doesn't get much worse than that. But he was right where God wanted him. He had humbled himself. In the story, when you read it, you'll come across the place where it actually says, Moses was very content. He had become content being a nobody. But God was not going to leave him there. He had gotten himself in a place where the Lord could truly use him by circumstances, situations that were really kind of out of his control. And Moses, I believe, becomes a model for every one of us here. He receives his call and his commission from the Lord. And it's a call and a commission that actually changes world history. On the far side of the desert, a shepherd of someone else's flock. But being broken and empty is a great place to be for God to use his people. Pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency is laid aside. doesn't mean we become lazy. doesn't mean we have no ambition. It just means that we've reached a place in our life where we know that we need the Lord. We need Him for everything, every day. And He wants His people in that place so that He receives the glory and the honor and not man. It's amazing to see what God does when he gets a person that's emptied themselves and then he fills them. And they accomplish the purposes that God has for us. When I look at this story, this small story, five, six verses, it encourages me in at least two ways. The first way is that God, the Lord, can use me. He can use you. He can use every single one of us. 
And the second thing it encourages me in is that the Lord is with me. No matter what your past may look like. He's with us. And He's with us in more ways than you might imagine. We all know as Christians, He lives in us. Yes. But it goes further than that. And we're going to look at some of that. So going back to verse 2, where God speaks to him through a bush, a fiery bush. The word there used is a Hebrew word, sine. And what that means is to prick or to stick. And in this case, what it means, it's just a thorny bush. And you know what a thorn is? It's an aborted branch. It's a modified branch. It's a branch that didn't grow. So it's not just a bush, it's a thorny bush. A very common, unextraordinary bush that fills the deserts of the Middle East, this bush. The bush was common. Nothing caused it to stand out in and of itself. It's interesting, I I asked Cindy this last night as we were driving. I think we were driving, maybe we were home already, I can't remember. I said, what was the very first dwelling place of God that we see in Scripture? So we're both racking our mind, going back all through the Genesis story. And I believe the answer is thorny bush. God was dwelling in that thorny bush when he called out to Moses. A common, unextraordinary, ordinary bush. Nothing special about that bush. You know what? I'm a thorny bush. You're a thorny bush. God looked at that bush and says, you know what? Today is the day I'm going to use that bush for extraordinary purposes. has nothing to do with the bush. It's all about God using that bush to do something extraordinary. And that's God's heart for the people that He uses. I want to read you a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. I don't always like to do that. And when I read that in scripture, I would like to add, don't think about it and let the devil start dumping guilt and shame and condemnation on you. Think about what you were before you were called because look what God has done in your life by grace, mercy, and His amazing love. It goes on and says, Not many of you were by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were uh, noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one would be able to boast before him. God chose a thorny bush. I believe in that sense, if God can use a thorny bush, he can use you and me. He can use anything he wants to use. He calls us, he extends his grace, his mercy, his love to us gives us the grace to accept that. And then he calls us and he commissions us. And we all have a destiny and a future and a hope in him, irregardless of our past, irregardless of what we look like. Things aren't always as they appear. 
It doesn't work that way. He can look for bushes, use bushes. I believe he's looking. The eyes of the Lord are growing across the earth, looking for thorny bushes. People like us. The reality is, it's not what I can do for God, right? We, We think that way too often. It kind of has crept into our theology in a way. Now, some of you are in here old enough to remember this, and some of you actually were taught this in history class. But remember when President John F. Kennedy said those words, ask not what you can do? What? How's it go? Anybody know it? Yes. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Right? It sounds good in that, that sense, in that particular um, context. But it's bad theology if we bring it into our theology. It's not, what can I do for God? It's what can God do through us? What can He do through us? It's all part of that works theology that has crept into so much of the church that we think that we've got to do things to earn His approval, to earn His favor, All we got to do is be available, humble, broken, surrendered to Him so that He gets the glory and the honor when He works through us. Remember, as we go through this, the bush wasn't really burning. The bush was common and insignificant. The fire, the angel of the Lord, is what was unique. And important. The encouragement I get, that first aspect of it is that God can use me and He can use you. The second is this. God is with me. Oh, how often we feel like God's nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be heard. He's not there. We feel so alone and forsaken. And of course, the enemy wants us to feel just that way. He wants to steal our faith. He wants to steal our effectiveness in the way that God works through us. But if we go back to verse 4, where it says these words, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. What that says to me is, he was on the far side of the desert and God was with him. And the first two words he says are his name. Moses, Moses. And as we go through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we see times when God calls people and he says their name twice. Michael, Michael, something's coming that's really important. He says, Moses, Moses. He said, Samuel, Samuel. He said, Simon Peter, Simon, Simon. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When you hear your name twice, God knows you, He's with you, and He's going to say something pretty important. And the first words you hear are are Moses, Moses, His name. It's personal. And a little later in the Scripture, He tells him exactly who He is. I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's who I am. And I'm with you. I'm talking to you from this fire of this bush. 
Now, what I want to offer up to us is this thought. God is with us, but he's oftentimes with us in ways that I think we miss completely. As I said earlier, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this aspect of it, but as a believer, we understand and know, I hope, that God is with me because he lives inside of me. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's never going to abandon us. He's with us, okay? But I believe there's another aspect to this that we need to really remind ourselves of and pay attention to. God is with us oftentimes. And the person sitting right next to you. He's with us in your spouse. He's with us in your boss. He's with us in your subordinates. He's with us in our children. And we miss it because they are common. They are ordinary. We're not looking for something dramatic and special like a fire in a bush. And God speaks to us through those ordinary people. But we miss it completely because all we see is the ordinary, the outward. And God may be just speaking to you and me through that person because God's with us. And he'll speak through a bush. And he'll speak through your spouse or anybody else that he wants to bring across our path. Verse 2 said, The Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from in the bush. The fire was in the bush. And that same fire is in every single believer. Right? If they're a believer, the Holy Spirit's in them. The fire's in them. You know, it's pretty easy to say, You know what? My husband... He's not on fire for the Lord. God's not going to speak to me through him. He's just not on fire for the Lord. My wife is so far from being on fire for the Lord. No way. That person thinks they're going to give me some advice. They've only been a Christian for a few weeks and they don't know anything yet. And we miss it completely because we need to remember, just like with the bush, the fire was in the bush. It wasn't the bush speaking. It wasn't the bush doing anything except being a bush. And oftentimes God will speak to us because the fire of the Holy Spirit is in that person. The person may not be on fire. The bush wasn't on fire. The bush wasn't being consumed. But the fire was in the bush. And the fire is in every single believer. And we don't know how God's going to speak from that fire in that ordinary bush. We miss it completely. We need to remind ourselves that, you know, what people aren't always as they seem. Now, I'm going to just share a couple of examples that I know I've shared in the many years I've been pastoring here, but they're so, they so impacted me in, at that time. We're ordinary people or strange people. We were getting ready to go on a mission trip to Russia, a small group of us, many, many years ago. And lo and behold, we were in our old building. And those of you that know what that means, it was a little building. And this guy walks in. He's got long hair. He's got a leather headband around his head. He's dressed a little bit strange. We've never seen him before. And he comes in and sits down in the back of the church. Well, all right, it's a visitor. He's breathing. That's a good thing. (laughs) He's here. Then we go to talk to him, and he's kind of a unique character, to say the least. I mean, he and I had a little conversation, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't know about this guy. And then he left. 
the church, when the church was over, he got in his car and drove away. We didn't know where he was headed. We knew he came from Marshall. That's all we knew. And I don't remember where I went, but I wasn't home after church. Cindy was home. And all of a sudden, she hears this knock on the door. She goes to the door, and here's this strange dude with the leather, leather headband around his long hair standing there looking at her. And he says, I got a word for the Lord for your husband and the group that's going on a mission trip to Russia. And his word was simple. They aren't coming back the way they think they are. So I got home and she told me this and I thought, what in the world? This nut drove all the way back. He was headed to New Ulm. And he turned around and drove back for this word. I guess the good news is it sounds like we're coming home. <laughs> that was good, but not like we were. I did respect the word enough that I shared with the leader, Mike Karnasak was his name. I said, shared with Mike. I said, you know, this, this happened. It's so weird. Maybe it's true. I told him what had been hap- what had been said. And we pretty well forgot about it. We went into a city called Radushne, Siberia. And we're ministering there. It was exciting getting there. Things were awfully goofy. And uh, we went to the airport to fly home. And our little interpreter, I shouldn't say little. He was a 19-year-old kid, 19-year-old guy. And he comes running out of the airport, and he's going, plane go boom. And we're like, what? What he really was trying to say is there is no plane. You got tickets for a plane that doesn't exist, for a flight that doesn't exist, to a city that this airport has never had a plane fly to ever, Nova Sibirsk. Well, guess what came to my mind right away? You aren't getting home the way you think you're getting home. Another trip that happened in Russia... Elaine Swift was with us. Elaine's not here this morning, but Elaine was with us. Known Elaine for years and years and years. Very familiar. Very ordinary. Just like you and me looking at each other. And we're going to go to a church in a city called Nizhnevartovsk. And she says, Mike, the Lord told me you better be ready because you're going to preach. I told Mike, Mike, again, he was the leader of the group. I said, yeah, this is what, yeah, right. You're going to preach. I blew it off completely. We got lost on the way to this church. We finally get there. It's late. They've been worshiping for who knows how long. We walk in the door and he introduces me and he asks, where's the pastor? And they said, he's the pastor. He says, good, you speak now. God, had I wish I listened to the ordinary bush. What a little preparation would have done for me at that time. We were building this, going to build this church building. We were looking for land. Many of you have heard this story too. We actually bought some land on the other side of town. And we thought that was where we're supposed to be. And then uh, Bob Nordine. Bob Nordine's not here today. Common man. Ordinary man. He says, Gal, guys, he, he, the Lord showed me a picture of our property. And it didn't look anything like the property we bought. We just kind of ignored it. Lo and behold, there were some problems with the property we bought. We bought this property. And if you could look at this property from a, a map, Bob, what Bob came and said, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but it looks like the state of Minnesota. It looks like the state of Minnesota. Boundary here, sort of straight here, and a big curve over here. You look at the map of this property that we're on, looks like the state of Minnesota. 
common bush. Ignored it. I want to encourage us that God will speak to us through those common bushes. We need to be listening. We need to be aware. You know, it's so easy to miss what God is doing. And it didn't just happen here with us. I mean, think, think about this for a second. It happened to Jesus, right? Remember Jesus, he was back in Nazareth in Matthew 13. And it says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogues. And they were amazed. Where did this man get his wisdom? And where did he get this miraculous power? Wow, that ought to get their attention. And then it goes on and says, isn't this just the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't all his sisters here with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. He was common. He was ordinary. It happened to Jesus. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water in Mark chapter 6? Remember the scene? The storm comes up. It's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., the dark night. And the disciples are doing everything they can to keep the boat on track. And it says they're scared and afraid and they see something coming towards them. What is it? It's a ghost. It's a ghost. Tradition tells us in those days, just before ships went under and people drowned, they, there were stories that they saw a ghost coming at them. Who's coming at them? Jesus simply speaks, hey guys, it's me. It's me. They missed who it was. Fear settled in. If it can happen to Jesus, it certainly can happen to us and it can happen to those around us. We need to remember that things aren't always as they seem. If we see them as they really are, we'll oftentimes see the presence of God because he's always with us. It goes on in verse 3 where he says, I will go over or I will turn aside and see this strange sight, why that bush isn't burning up. He saw beyond the obvious. Who knows how many times he'd seen this same bush? Who knows how many times when the sun comes up, there's a reflection on these bushes and it could have been the sun reflecting. He saw beyond the obvious. He said, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to look. I'm going to turn aside. And notice in verse 4, that's where it said, when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, that's when God called out to him. When we look beyond the ordinary, when we hear what they're really saying and not what we think they might be saying, when he went over there that God gave him the message that changed human history. In those last 40 years of his life, God used Moses, worked through Moses, who had been a somebody who had became a nobody to become the guy that would deliver his people because he looked beyond the obvious. You've probably seen this illustration before, but so often... We could break Christians, actually, into two groups of people. Uh, There's seven letters. Go ahead and put this word up there, this letters up there on the screen if you can. N-O-W-H-E-R-E, right? You've all seen this? Two groups of people look at that two different ways simply because of where they break the words, separate the letters. Many times Christians are complaining that he's nowhere. They break it between the O and the W. God's nowhere. He's not here. 
He's not hearing me. He's not moving in my life. He's not speaking to us. He's not speaking to me. God is nowhere. Now all you need to do is just move one letter, right? And God is now here. God is with us. That's the group of people we need to be. Realizing no matter where we're at, God is now here. He lives in us for sure. But he's also in those around us, brothers and sisters in Christ, young and old, men and women, children. He's now there. He's with us. God is now here. So why do we so often miss it? Why do we so often miss it? I heard this illustration. And when I first heard it, well, I won't even, I'll just tell you the illustration. There's a man who's going to visit a village in the Congo that's never seen a white man. And as soon as they saw him, they didn't react very well. They all grabbed their spears and started coming after him. And he turned and ran as fast as he could run. And he built a little lead over the men with the spears, and he kept looking back over his shoulder, that he almost ran right off a cliff. And he stopped at the edge of the cliff, and he looked down, and sure enough, bottom of the cliff was a pride of hungry lions. There he was, looking back at the tribe with the spears and looking down at the hungry lions. And finally he jumps, and he grabs a vine about halfway down. And there he is. And while he's hanging on that vine, he notices there's a great big red ripe fruit on that vine. And he stops and eats, and it's the most delicious, flavorful fruit he's ever experienced. That's how I looked when I first heard this illustration. Where's that going? Here's where it's going. We're going to leave him hanging there. But so many of us are so busy running from things that we're afraid of or things in our past We're so busy running from those things that we're afraid of and we're running to things that are the unknown that we're equally as afraid of. And we need to realize in the present, God is with us. God is with us. We need to take the time to enjoy the fruit of His presence and quit running so fast away from the things in our in our past that scare us and running towards things equally as afraid because we don't know what's coming. God's with us. He'll speak to us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we are so blessed to know you as our Father and know that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit that you live and dwell in each one of us, Lord, but you are also in the temple of all of those people you put around us, believers who have the same Holy Spirit, whether young or old, adults, children, that you are with us and you will speak to us through anything or anybody that you choose to use. Father, I pray that you would help us to not run from our past and be afraid of our future, but take the time to see what's around us as it really is to see other people around us as they really are. Knowing that you use the humble things to bring glory and honor to yourself. God, that we can 
put our confidence, our hope, our trust in you. Knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That we all have a destiny. And that you will guide us as we walk by faith each step of the way. Help us to hear your voice. That we bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.